You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I know, and that's actually something that I really do appreciate. It's like I got my start, you know, everyone has this idea of like a trail runner, especially a professional trail runner. Like you can only do that when you're, you know, you live close to the mountains. And yes, I do now. I live in Boulder and I've, I've been lucky enough to grow up in Fort Collins and, you know, in Colorado where I have access to the Rocky Mountains, you know, a 10, 15 minute drive from my front door or the house where I grew up. But I started running, ironically, in Denver, in a big city. And I mean, I know it's nothing compared to New York City as far as like time travel to go to a trail, like it's maybe on the order of a half an hour, 45 minutes. But the thing that I also love about running is that you can do it anywhere. And no matter where I go, it's actually one of my favorite activities is if I'm in a big city, I'm like, all right, challenge accepted. I am going to find the nearest park (laughs) and like go on my own little like adventure city run slash trail run. And it's actually, it's really fun. That was Hillary Allen. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today, I sync up with professional ultra skyrunner, the North Face athlete, and author, Hillary Allen. But first, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker and Alchemine Supplements. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go-to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. Use our code for 20% off. Thank you, MOTM. And of course... There's a link in the show notes. Also, shout out to Alchemind Supplements and Dr. Daryl Joffrey. I am loving the Alchemind plant-based organic protein powder. It has three core alkaline proteins, Sacha Inchi, pea, hemp, and coconut oil, which turns your body into a fat-burning machine. And of course, it's sugar-free. It's been a great addition into my training and fueling. I'm also using their acid-kicking mineral mix when I'm out on the bike for hydration, as well as the acid-kicking greens in all of my smoothies, and their omega-3 and black seed oil supplements for inflammation and general health. Check out their website, getoffyouracid.com, and use our code MOTM20 for 20% off. Now... Back to our guest. On this episode of Marnie on the Move, Hillary and I chat about how she discovered ultra running and what routes and races motivate her to train for one of the most intense 
endurance sports in the world. She talks to me about her passion for science and bugs and how that love translates into her running career. In 2017, Hillary was ranked first in the Sky Running World Series, but then on the last race of the season, she had a terrible accident, which she writes about in her memoir, Out and Back, a runner's story of survival and recovery against all odds. She shares the harrowing story of her 2017 150-foot fall during a race. During our conversation, Hillary sheds light on the mental and physical tools she used to power her through recovery, as well as what inspired her to tackle the trails again after such a traumatizing experience. We also sync up about the process of writing her book and the launch of her new podcast, The Train Writing Podcast. I hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to the app wherever you listen, click on the Marnie on the Move podcast, scroll through the episodes, click on five stars, and click on write a review. Tell us what you love. Also, screenshot this episode wherever you listen and share it on your social channels. Tell your friends to listen. And don't forget, sign up for our newsletter, The Download. Now, on to my conversation with Hillary. You are an elite runner. You are an ultra runner. You're a North Face athlete. You have an amazing running career. And you've also been through some seriously life-threatening, near-death challenges and experiences. How did you get into running and adventure racing and ultra running? Where did all of that begin for you? Yeah, so I know I feel like I've lived a maybe like seven lives already. I don't know how I'm not counting. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, actually, I don't want to know because if it's like there's a there's an expiration date, then I don't no, want to no. know. Um, <laughs> I think you probably um, surpassed it with your four years ago in 2017 incident, which we're going to yeah. talk about. I'm calling it an incident. <laughs> incident it was yes. like near so, death experience. Exactly. Yeah. But I guess, so I, I think it all started for me. And this is like how I would define myself uh, like at this, at my core, at the, at the simplest level is I'm a curious person. Yeah. And that's where it all started for me. Like when I was a little kid, I was super curious about the world. I think I just pissed my parents off because I would just always like, you know, ask why, or like, they just couldn't keep a hold of me because, you know, it was like, where like I'm outside playing and like, I'm getting into trouble and like all this other stuff. And like, but I, so, you know, so where it started for me is the curiosity. And that took me two places to science and then to athletics through science. I, you know, I, I was always asking questions about how the physical world works. So normally that, that just leads you down a road of science. And so that was kind of, and both of my parents were scientists. They worked at Colorado state university. I grew up in Fort Collins, Colorado. And so they were always my mentors. And, you know, if I wanted to go visit my parents, I would go visit them in the laboratory. You know, my mom, she's a parasitologist. And so that's studying parasites. Yeah. And so I would literally go to go see my mom after school one day, if, you know, if I wasn't playing sports and she was in the lab and I got to play in the microscope and look at these giant 
hearts from horses that had died from heartworm infections. There's like worms coming oh out of God. like the aorta and all this stuff. Yeah. And I thought it was super cool. So I wanted to take that with me to show and tell. Um, <laughs> and then paired with, you know, um, then my father, he, you know, he was the same thing. He was a professor. He ran his own chemistry and biochemistry research. And so, you know, not only was he in lab, but our dinner conversations were quite um, scientific. Yeah. And so, but then, you know, juxtaposition, you know, like we have, we have that, but then on the other side of things, I'm outside. So the other place you could find me as a kid was just running around trying to find bugs. I was always just athletic and I had coordination. So it kind of took me to, and I was, I was pretty competitive. And so I really wanted to like beat the boys or like beat people. And so more so just because I wanted to feel like I was, you know, accomplished. And so I would do like flag football or like basketball and yeah. softball. And I finally landed on tennis and just based on my athleticism, I ended up earning a tennis scholarship to, to play at a small college in Iowa where I had a major in, you know, a double major in chemistry, organic chemistry and uh, Spanish. That's right. You're a teacher and yeah. that's your yeah. degree. So it's kind of, I mean, you went down that path. Yeah, because like that, I was all in like the curiosity, the ultimate, like the ultimate path, I think for, for curiosity and and science is, you know, getting your PhD, doing, being a researcher. And so I knew from a young age, in fact, you know, like kindergarten career day that I wanted to, you know, go to graduate school, not just college, but graduate school. And so I entered a PhD program for, you know, neuroscience and, and physiology. And ironically, that's where I rediscovered running as a time crunch graduate student. I could no longer kind of travel and play tennis. It was both like expensive from a, from a money standpoint, but also time. And so I just started running and, you know, it was super simple. Like all you needed were your shoes and I could do it anywhere. I was living in Denver, Colorado at the time, and it's a big city and I could just you know, go anywhere, anytime. And it was, you know, even from lab when my experiments were running, I was like, oh, I have time. I'm going to go for a run. So did you start out immediately in ultras or were you, did you start out, you know, shorter distance races? Yeah. So I actually, I just started running. I started running with this group and ironically they were, so there are these women in their early fifties and ironically they had, they had run like marathon marathons around the like qualified for the Olympic trials in the, in the, in the eighties. And one of the women was Janie Day and she uh, was an avid trail runner and she held records on the Pikes Peak ascent and the Mount Washington ascent. So these notorious, just hard uphill races, Mount Washington ascent is not on a trail, but uh, Pikes Peak ascent is. And she, she just had a knack for running uphill. So I started running just with this group kind of three days a week, I just wanted to run and I, I saw progress. That's the thing I love about running is you can see tangible progress, like in yeah. your times, but also just how easy it feels and the, the miles that you can run. And so it wasn't before long, like that was in 2011. And I think, was it later that year? Yeah. That I ran my first marathon. <laughs> so I was just curious. I was like, oh, well, this doesn't feel so bad. I bet I could, I want to run longer. Like, and yeah. it was never, I never had the goal of a competition. I just was just really purely enjoying it. Every Sunday we, I would go with Janie and the girls and I'd go running on the trails for like a recovery run. So it kind of brought together your love of being outdoors and nature and your curiosity and then sport. You said it perfectly. That is in a <laughs> nutshell why I love running. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think maybe because it's why I love running too. I'm yeah. not a trail runner, but I do love being outside in nature and I just love taking in the sights, you know, especially like living in New York City. I have the opportunity to run along the West Side Highway, which is the closest that we get to water here. Yeah. There's just something about it, you know, whatever kind of day you're having, you, know, you go outside and it could be hard like the first mile, but then once you start going, you're like, oh, now I remember why I love this so much. Yeah, I know. And that's actually something that I really do appreciate. It's like, I got my start, you know, everyone has this idea of like a trail runner, especially a professional trail runner. Like you right. can only do that when you're, you know, you live close to the mountains. And yes, I do now. I live in Boulder and I've, I've been lucky enough to grow up in Fort Collins and, you know, in Colorado where I have access to the Rocky Mountains, you know, a 10, 15 minute drive from my front door or the house yeah. where I grew up. But I started running ironically in Denver in a big city. And I mean, I know it's nothing compared to New York City as far as like time traveled to go to a trail, like is maybe on the order of a half an hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. But the thing that I also love about running is that you can do it anywhere. And yeah. no matter where I go, it's actually one of my favorite activities is if I'm in a big city, I'm like, all right, challenge accepted. I am going to find the nearest park yeah. <laughs> and like go on my own little like adventure city run slash trail run. And it's actually, it's really fun. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the, you know, during COVID that I was running kind of through the streets of the city because they were empty, there were no cars and it was a concrete trail, seriously, like running yeah. over cobblestone, sidewalks, traffic lights. I don't know. It was fun, yeah. but I definitely, I went trail running once in Montauk and I was the whole time I was so paranoid that I was going to get ticks. It just ruined the whole run experience for me. Well, yeah, ticks are not fun what do you do for to prevent getting ticks or you don't care you're like whatever oh no no I care especially you know my mom's a parasitologist literally yeah. <laughs> the first thing that she she bought me when I started trail running was a life straw she's like Hillary you will not get Giardia I'm like thank you okay thanks <laughs> and then when I'm in the Alps running she's like okay Hillary like uh did you check yourself for ticks and I have actually gotten ticks before because it's like a lot of the trails I do if they're over overgrown mm -hmm. you know you're going through brush and you know, the common place for ticks to get as on like your, your legs. And then they kind of crawl up and you don't want to have a tick on you long enough. Cause it carries things like, you know, depending on where you are, yeah, like, like you know, Lyme disease, yeah, um, Lyme disease. yeah, they can be really bad. And so you just do regular tick checks, but honestly, this is something that I did growing up as a kid. It's, it's not something that I'm, you know, Colorado isn't as lush. It's definitely drier, but yeah. certain times of year in the spring and especially as like, Okay, they had they had me as a kid. Like I was not gonna stick to a trail. I was like off in the woods. You're like <laughs> what trail? Yeah. So you've run in so many cool places around the world. What are some of the most beautiful, incredible places that you've run and trails that you're like, I have to go back and do that again? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's it's it's one of my favorite questions, but uh, it's so hard because it's so hard to choose. Yeah. I would just say, like for me, like I said, I'm so curious, and so something that I love is running in a place with history and every single place that you run has history. So for instance, the Dolomites um, in Italy, it's, it's history of, you know, world war one, world war two. You could literally see the art, the barracks where these, these soldiers were staying the winter in the Alps. It's insane. And so I was like running on some of these trails there and, you know, some the story of like how the refuges were built and the via, like the via Alta and the, um, the via Ferratas that were built were because of the war. And I just think that's, it's amazing. You know, it's like a, basically you're able to 
time travel and like kind of like think about how it was for them. Another one of my favorite places is Mount Olympus in Greece. This is like kind of north of Greece. It's by the Aegean Sea. So Mount Olympus is literally like the the birth of Greek mythology. And um, I would stay and I ran the Mount Olympus Marathon, which is like an iconic race where you go from the town, the ancient town of Dion, and you go up to um, Mitikeas, which is Zeus's throne. Uh And you don't tag the actual summit because it's quite technical, but you kind of go on the saddle to the highest refuge. And then you go back down the other side to Litohoro, which is another town that was built later after it was like, okay, to kind of build a city because before in in Greek mythology, you couldn't actually build a city that looked at Zeus's throne because they wanted to like respect the gods. It's insane. Do you feel the energy of the culture and the people like I'm standing in this place where this happened? That's so cool. And that's what I love. So it's like, you know, on the trail, I'm passing by these little like temples made to like the Greek gods and learning about the history. And then at night after I was staying there for, you know, three weeks leading up to this race, just because I wanted to see Greece and, and, and travel. And I would literally be staying at the Aegean Sea and I'd look back up onto Mount Mitikeas and it, I can understand how the Greeks thought that Zeus was like throwing lightning bolts because like <laughs> it looked like it. <laughs> That's so funny. So, That's so cool. Yeah. And so it's like in a race when I'm suffering, I'm like, oh my God, this is hard. I'm like, Hillary, you get to be here and yeah. like you get to experience the culture and the people. And so, yeah, those are a few of my favorites, but those are just reasons why I love it. And you can, the cool thing about that is you can, you can dive into the history of any place and even in COVID, you know, even the pandemic, I was able to do that in my backyard and get a new appreciation for my home trails. Right. That's so cool. I mean, I feel like that is one amazing benefit of running is that, you know, it has so many levels to the experience from exercise to learning and growth and all of those things, really. I mean, obviously, it's like the the mountain or the trail or the destination that you're looking to explore. But is it also the level of technicality that you also look for? Speaking of technical, you specialize in sky running. For many of my listeners who are dialed into the world of running and ultras, you know what sky running is. But for those who are not dialed in, can you share what exactly sky running is? Okay, so sky running. So yeah, that's the kind of the type of running that I kind of discovered by accident that I really like. I have this nickname and it's called Hilly Goat. (laughs) And it's because, yeah, it's because I like to go uphill. And so what goes up must come down. Um, But normally if you're going up like steeper terrain, like steep, steep stuff, it's more technical. It's more mountainous. It's more rocky. And so sky running were these types of races that I just happened to kind of discover in the United States. There was a U.S. sky running series. And that was the first race season that I actually put together in 2014. Mm -hmm. And I really had no plan. I was just like picking races that looked fun in new places that I had not discovered before. And so it was like the speed goat 50 K it's like 30 miles. And it was about 11,000 feet, 12,000 feet of, of gain over the course of 30 miles. And those in that same vein, like a race, like run the rut in big sky, Montana, where you know, it's like, again, 31 miles and about 10,000, 11,000 feet of gain over some pretty technical mountains. We'd climb up Lone Peak, which had basically, they built a trail uh, going up Lone Peak. So it's more like a ski resort. And, you know, the trail is basically consists of like, you know, dinner size rocks, like talus rocks that kind of move with every step. That's so <laughs> And cool. so, 
it's like, those are the types of races that I loved. And I just happened to kind of practice that kind of terrain a lot, just because it was fun for me. And I happened to get, you know, pretty proficient at it. And so then after I actually won that US Skyrunning series in 2014, and then that kind of propelled me onto the World Skyrunning series where I got to do more races, kind of like that Olympus marathon that I just described, um, some of these races in the Dolomites, where it is more mountainous and more, you know, basically inevitably more uh, technical terrain since you are kind of going yeah to the top of these peaks or near the top of them how do you train for that off the course not obviously you run on it but yeah well I mean so like I said I'm lucky because I'm based in a place like Boulder Colorado where you know I can run more technical terrain um Colorado doesn't necessarily have as much technical terrain as say Europe it's just and it's also just different we're more of an arid environment so it's more rocky and dusty than like a place like Europe where there's definitely more roots and and, and foliage and kind of a different type of technicality I would, I would compare it more to the east coast type um, style of trails, but basically, yeah, you just practice, like find the steepest thing you can and go up and down it. (laughs) Do you do like, Um, what kind of strength stuff do you do? And like core and ankle mobility and all of that kind of stuff. So all of that. So, I mean, when I first started running, it was basically, there's a steep learning curve. So it was just kind of practicing running and practicing. If you wanted to run trails and you wanted to run vert, you know, picking, trails and peaks that you could do that and and practice. And when I say practice, like I wasn't, you know, going all out like race pace on every run, like it's just time on feet and just out there kind of learning and taking it all in. And so, but then in addition to that, and especially over the last, you know, few years, my training has definitely changed because my body has changed, you know, particularly after, you know, some injuries. And so um, strength training is incredibly important to me. And it's so like keeping healthy, like hips and core, I feel like for any runner, that's like where injuries can creep up if you don't, if you have hip or core imbalances. And of course, yeah, like ankle mobility, that's it. That's a huge one. So I come from a tennis background. So like the the quick feet and like that kind of stuff is not foreign to me. So it's keeping that stuff, you know, limber and, and, and working well, like working on balance and single leg things that can carry over really well to trails. And I mean, as a coach, actually, that's what I, you know, tell people to do, even if they don't have access to trails, like you can do that stuff in the, in the gym and it helps. Yeah. I was doing a little bit of that. I don't trail run, but I was doing just in general, just for running because uh, just on the pavement, on concrete, whatever. I mean, it's still, it's still good. And especially as you get older, it's important to have the muscles (laughs) to keep you fast. Oh, absolutely. What's on your bucket list? What races or trails have you not run on that are just like around the corner perhaps? Yeah. Well, you know, it seems like all of them. <laughs> um, so I would really, so on my bucket list is like a race, like hard rock, um, that's in Colorado. And that's an amazing race. I've gone out there, you know, so many times to, to watch it and like kind of do the course on my own UTMB. That's one that I absolutely love, you know, going back to the Dolomites and doing Lavarita, like the long course there, but then also just, I just love exploring, um, you know, places that I've never been. Like, you know, we spoke about the Olympics, uh, you know, at the beginning of this, um, Japan, like Ultra Trail de Mount Fuji. And I know that not I've, all of them, like that one's definitely not as technical as I'm used to, but like, just because it's, you know, running through Japan, it would be amazing. So just kind of places are more on my bucket list as well, like different parts of Europe that I haven't discovered, you know, New Zealand, these kinds of areas. And then 
also on my bike too. Like that would be a, that it would be a cool addition. Are you gravel or road or mountain? A bit of both, but yeah, okay. gravel. So gravel. I actually, I did, yeah. I take my gravel bike on the road, but I just prefer gravel. It's so much fun. I've yet to yeah. try it, but I'm a road. Cyclist. Oh, you love yeah, it. I know. I, I got to get out of the city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Swim run is awesome, actually. Like that's it's. I love the multi. Would you ever do swim run? I could see you doing that because you're. I don't know about your swimming, but I like the running is the I hardest learn, part. Yeah, right. And I mean, and running in a wetsuit maybe. But this is what I love about too. It's like you're an athlete. It's like I think, especially as we get older, and you discover more more sports. It's like you know we're athletes. You want to do multiple yeah. sports. Totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm completely in that space. And you're such an amazing, incredible athlete. You've done all these adventures that people can only imagine. But in 2017, you had this near-death experience that changed your life and changed your running forever. But here you are back out there. So what happened? Yeah. So, I mean you're right. Like I was not prepared for it mentally, emotionally, physically, but you know, if I look back, there's nothing that I could have done to change it. You know, I had kind of set up my life at this point. I had stepped back from graduate school and now I was more racing full time. So I got my master's degree and I was teaching at a small college. So it was perfect because I had the summers off. And so I, I kind of had that schedule where I would just pack up my bags and move to Europe and do these races in the summertime. And so I was doing this for a few years and in 2017, I had, you know, risen the ranks to number one in the world uh, for the World Skyrunning series. And it brought me to this place called uh, Tromso. And this was this kind of almost victory lap. Like this race was just an, a, like a cherry on the top. It was, it didn't, if I had a poor performance, it wasn't going to, you know, destroy my rankings. It was more for like a celebration. And like I said, the, one of the like main reasons why I love to run was to explore a new place. And the race actually was going really well. And it's kind of on my favorite type of terrain. It's super rocky and, and technical in, in, in Norway. And it was a sky race. So, um, you know, get as much vert as you can in, in this little kilometers. And we were going on the, the, this ridge, it's called Humperrock and Ridge and it's third class. So your third class is like your, um, you're not running, you're moving fast, but you know, two feet are on the ground as well as like one to like stabilize. I, okay. I equate classes to the amount of limbs that you have to stabilize yourself. Like got it. first class would be running like one foot on the ground. Second class is hiking at third class, you know, one, two, three, so two feet in a hand. And then fourth class would be like, kind of you're using your both hands. Cause it's rather steep and like sketchy. Okay. Um, <laughs> cool. I love that. And then, That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> And so, so in skyrunning, you have a lot of this like third class type of train, second and third. And so, but I'm comfortable on that. It's like, I love it. And, but something like I, you know, that you, know, you can't predict, like it's the nature of going out into the mountains. There are inherent risks there. And I was rounding the corner and I don't know exactly what happened. I didn't even have time to register it, but a, I think a rock gave way underneath my foot. And before I even had time to brace myself or realize what was happening, I was in the air and the horizon was upside down. And I realized that I was falling. It, it was 150 feet that I ended up falling off of this ridge during a race. And it was, it was surreal. I do remember it. I mean, do. yeah, I remember the world slowing down and it was like, I was watching myself fall and I was watching myself fall and I was speaking to myself. I heard my own voice say that Hillary, this is it. 
you're dying and you need to stay calm, you know, do what you can. And, but like, no, like I was kind of almost accepting, accepting my fate. Wow. But I think what that did is it kept me relaxed. It kept me calm. It helped me to kind of problem solve in a weird way, but so that I wasn't like rigid when I fell. And so, and then when I finally kind of woke up on the side of the mountainside and realized that I wasn't dead, I mean, I still, I still thought that I was dying because like, I, you know, I was, there was so much pain, but and then I have like kind of memories of the rescue operation and, and stuff like that, where, you know, a helicopter had to come and get me and take me back. When you realized that you were alive and you weren't dying, did you immediately think about running? What was going through your mind? No. Uh, so it wasn't actually, that was on the order of days and then weeks. I mean, like you were, yeah. it wasn't until I was in the hospital that I, you know, the doctor told me that I didn't have any inter bleeding and that I was going to be okay. Like that was, but then after that, like I could kind of relax. And then after that, like, I don't even remember anything until my mother came to the hospital. Right. And I think I was kind of in denial slash on painkillers that I didn't realize. And, um, that the accident had actually happened to me. Right. Like I thought that maybe it was a dream. It seemed like a dream. Yeah. But then that was kind of where the, the gravity of the situation came. And I realized like how bad it was and that like, oh my gosh, it was me. And like, I've been stuck in this bed for two days and I haven't been able to move and I couldn't move. I needed help for everything. And, and I think it was then that I started thinking about, oh my gosh, like, is this over? How am I going to heal from all this? How can I, how am I supposed to run again? And, uh, you know, like grappling with this identity of like, oh, like, is this it? Am I not, am I no longer like, I was just coming into the fact of like, oh, wow. Like I'm actually a professional athlete. Like this running thing is working for a while. Like I'm doing well. And then now having to be like, oh, I don't know if that's actually me anymore or what this means for my future. And this was actually at the point where I didn't even know that I had this Liz Franck injury. It wasn't until two weeks later that I was actually strong enough to travel back to the United States. And I saw some specialists there because they had to refix my wrists. They had to operate on both of my wrists again. Then this woman who is a a foot specialist, she diagnosed this thing called a Liz Franck injury that was in my right foot where my ligament was basically it's the Liz Franck is the the ligament that... um, it's like the integrity of your arch basically. So it's, it's essential for running. Like your arch is an essential, you know, architecture of your foot. And she described it as a foot changing injury. And she said, I'd be lucky to, you know, jog recreationally again. So she told me that, you know, I would not be, I'd be not be an elite runner. I would not be, you know, running or competing again. And I think that's when, I started seriously, you know, thinking about what running in my life would look like again. And that was at the very beginning. (laughs) What was your mental recovery process like? It was messy. (laughs) I would say it's, it was just messy. It was, I mean, I would love for it to be like linear, right? Linear progression, just how like bones and ligaments heal. Like it is linear. There's a science to it. Like that I understood from teaching anatomy and physiology. Like I get that. But the, it's not that straightforward. Yeah. Recovery is like a squiggly line. And, you know, sometimes you feel like you're moving 10 steps forward, 
Other days you're like 10 steps sideways. Other ways you're like back behind you. It's, it's so, and that's like the emotional piece of it, which is so integral to having the motivation to show up to PT and do these things. Like I was non-weight bearing on the order of months. I was non-weight bearing for like three months. And so my, and you know, and then two months for my wrists. So like, I couldn't really use my body. I was super dependent. And so there's a limited amount of things that I could do. And so, I mean, there was that period. And then, then there was the period after that, when I got my casts off and I was able to actually bear weight and start like walking. And then, you know, then there's a long jump from walking to running. Right especially when you've been on weight bearing that long. So it was, it's, it was on the order of, of months for this recovery. And throughout all of that, honestly, like in the first three months when I wasn't really weight bearing, I wasn't putting too much pressure on myself as far as like, I need to get back because I didn't really know the steps or how it would feel. Right. I was more mentally preparing myself. I'd write in my journal and I'd write down mantras, like a really one that I, that I wrote down two weeks after the accident was, believe your best athletic days are ahead of you. Mm -hmm. And that was something that kind of, you know, did every day because I had no idea, you know, what the process was going to be like, but I knew that I had to have, you know, I knew I had to like mentally prepare myself to fight. And so I think that's where it started kind of this, like, okay, these doctors don't know me, you know, they can't tell me what to do. They don't know what I'm capable of, but it wasn't until, you know, I got those casts off and I realized exactly how hard it was going to be physically and emotionally that I kind of had to start over and kind of, honestly, then I had to kind of let go that I would be elite. I just had to embrace the process, completely slow down, take it literally a day at a time, sometimes an hour at a time. And, you know, try to make progress that, um, you know, would help me see a bigger picture in, in the long run. You wrote an amazing book, which just came out out and back, which it's this podcast and conversation is not even, it doesn't barely touch the surface of the power of your book and your story and, and everything that you've written that I'm sure has inspired so many athletes. I mean, this happened four years ago and I know you've been talking about it and it's very, you know, you've been very inspiring and encouraging to other athletes along the way. But when did you decide to write your book and was that part of your healing process? Yeah. And thanks for saying all that stuff, because in many ways, I I didn't actually know that I, you know, wanted to write a book. This idea came almost a year, a year later. And because one of the things that I used, a tool that I used throughout my recovery was writing. And because it was, it was the sacred space where I could just be honest and I could tell the world screw you and like all my real emotions yeah. <laughs> and no one could read it or judge me. And then, you know, it gave me the courage to just be honest in the space to, to do that. And then the more I shared that, I mean, I've had a blog for a while and I would kind of share in my recovery because I was sick of the narrative of, you know, athletes getting injured and afraid to share their stories, whether they were afraid the sponsors would, you know, right. drop them or, you know, they were afraid of, you know, their identity, their lost identity. But I wanted to be honest because first of all, with myself. And so um, I chose to share that openly in social media and on my blog. And I think it was amazing to see the reaction in the community that I was able to create and for people to relate to my story and also just to give them the courage to do the same, you know, in their own lives. And so it wasn't until a year later that 
I decided to actually write a longer form book. I had this idea. I remember it was at the bear in Utah. It ends in Idaho. And I had the idea for, for the book, like, you know, at the start, at the start line of the bear, I was going to pace my coach. And, you know, I writing a book is a lot different than writing a short blog post. Like it's way different. It's, but I wanted to do it because I saw the value in all of the, the writing. I had pages of things that I hadn't published. I had ideas of kind of kind of the arc of my story and like what I wanted, what I saw it, not as a recovery story, but just as this like testament to human resilience and what you can actually do if you challenge yourself. Yeah. And so I remember pitching this idea to a small publishing company, Blue Star Press in Bend, Oregon, and they loved the idea. And so then by January 1 of 2019, I had signed a contract and that, and that was like the beginning of it. And the the ultimate irony was that in the end of the month, literally January, like 25th or something, I broke my ankle. And that's, I mean, that's in the book, but like, that's literally when I really started writing is because I was in it again. And it was almost, it was almost like, you know, kind of serendipitous because I was then in the mental space that I was like, not quite, but like, you know, a little bit able to relate more and reflect on the actual feelings and the recovery and everything was so fresh. And it was just, it was, you know, it put me in to the writing, you know, the writing rhythm and routine, you know, quite forcibly, but then, you know, I, I got in a rhythm and um, as I got back to training, I was still, you know, using my, my training as a, as a way to think about what I was writing about. And I spent the whole year Uh, 2019 writing the book and yeah it's great I love how you break out your chapters by different mantras and stories that you're it's such great writing I really enjoyed it three chapters that I loved and we were talking about belief and how you sort of like started believing in your running was your chapter about the power of talk to me a little bit about that yeah like you said I I kind of devoted it's not like a linear progression of you know, my recovery, it's more of separated by themes. And so belief was a huge thing that I needed. Um, And I actually didn't know that I had it. And like I said, I wrote down this mantra only two weeks, you know, after this whole accident of believe your best athletic days are ahead of you. And for me, it fulfilled two things, writing, because I would have to write down this, you know, mantra every day. And by writing it, you kind of say it out loud. And so it would trigger belief. And so even on the days where I felt like crap and I didn't want to show up and I felt like it was stupid, like, why was I believing in myself that at my best athletic days were ahead of me? Like, come on, I can't even walk. You know, it felt silly, but I would do it. And then even in writing it, it was like, okay, well, I believe this. So I'm going to go to my PT today. I'm going to do these boring leg lifts. that seem like they have no, nothing to do with, you know, getting me back running, but yeah, that was just, that was just something. And it was amazing because the more I did that, the more I kind of leaned into that, the more I discovered that I had this self-belief that I had this something deep inside of me that would not let me give up. And yeah. Our minds are so powerful. And if you can get your mind on board with the program, then your body will follow. And if you believe, I really believe that everything is possible. So I, th- I mean, I, I'm sure there's so many challenges in that process, but I think it really takes that yeah. believing in yourself. And then the other chapter that I loved was patience takes practice, which mm-hmm. 
you know, as an athlete, as a triathlete, uh, you know, type A personality, I have very little patience, especially with myself. <laughs> you know, I'm oh, yeah. out there beating myself up. I think it, you know, really resonated with me. Patience is not so easy and you really need mm-hmm. to give yourself the space to get it. That's kind of what you talked about too in your chapter. Yeah. And actually I think how I start that is like, I'm not a patient person <laughs> <laughs> and it, yeah. it's true. It's like something like practice, like patience, it takes practice, it takes work. And, you know, and even like, you know, when I broke my ankle, it's not, it wasn't an immediate switch that I went over and I was like, Oh, I know how to do this. Like I was, it was ugly. I was crying. I was sad. I was pissed. And then I was able to kind of go into, it's like, okay, I have these tools in my toolkit. I can take them out and I can use them now. I'm ready, but it's like patience. It just takes so much practice. And it was, it's, it's more of a practice that, you know, takes you throughout life and it's valuable. And it's, it's something it's constantly evolving. I think patience is, is it's dynamic. It's not static. And so it's constantly changing. So I have to constantly change and adapt in order to be patient and, for me, running is the perfect practice for that because, you know, I'm, I'm not inherently patient and, but you ask, okay, well then you, but you run ultra marathons, like you have to be patient, but I'm like, yes. And how, how I practice that patience is I focus on the here and now I focus on what I'm doing in this current moment, my footsteps constantly moving forward so that I can practice that patience and not get ahead of myself. Right. And you know, that I can apply that to my, to my daily life. And that's what I had to do in my recovery too. Yeah, I think that's really important. It's a good lesson to take from training back into your life because I think in life it's a lot harder to understand. I mean, but being present when you're running, when you're outside, when you're paying attention to what's happening around you, if you're out on your bike, for me, I know, you know, I'm very focused on riding, but I'm also paying attention to like 5 million things around me, but I'm also there. It's a different kind of patience or focus or not getting outside of yourself or ahead of yourself. And I loved your story, The Way of the Warrior. I mean, it kind of, you know, about your favorite running shoes. I mean, I have some things that I, you know, I'm very superstitious about or that I keep around that probably I should have thrown out years ago that I still use. So talk to me about that, your favorite running yeah. shoes. Yeah. So The Way of the Warrior, this actually came from my first pair of trail shoes, which were the Bushido. And it's a La Sportiva shoe. And it actually, I come from a tennis background. So the the Bushido kind of felt like a tennis shoe. It felt sturdy. Yeah. And I was always curious about the name. And so then when I looked it up, it, it was this Way of the Warrior. And like I actually... I loved it because it was almost like, you know, you're putting on these shoes and you're putting on your, almost your armor. Like you're like, I'm about to like, you know, go slay some shit. You know, that's how I felt like when I was going (laughs) on the trails. And then the more I thought about it, the more like, especially in my recovery in particular, you know, when I experienced other injuries, for instance, that ankle break, it was kind of, you know, these tools that I had learned and developed almost like sharpened like if you think about it like your armor like your sword like the way of the warrior the samurai in the japanese culture these they are like that's part of them like they have this the way of the warrior they have their their armor and their sword their sword but they you know they're not always in battle but it's there it's like it's part of their their skill set that they have and i realized that i had that too And it was kind of this, this, this mental way of the warrior, this, not only it was a combination of the patience and the belief in myself and that when those hard times happened, 
it took a little bit of a transition. There was this somberness to it. Like I'm going to battle again, but I would like go to my, like the back of my closet, you know, dust off my, my sword and my armor and I'd put it back on and I'd, you know, go into, you know, I'd embrace that way of the warrior. And I think that that's like, that's kind of what I write about in that chapter about, yeah. you know, embracing these parts of us that aren't necessarily, you know, happy, but you know, it's, they're there and they're strong and they're purposeful. Yeah. You went back and, and ran the trail that you fell off of. So was that part of your healing process? I love that you did that, by the way. I would do the same thing. It's like you fall off the horse and you get back on. Exactly. And you get back on at the place where you fell off. <laughs> and so for me, it was scary, always like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me, I mean, I knew I always wanted to go back, but yeah. I didn't know when. And so that was it just so happened that it happened to be in 2019. And I actually had the chance to write about the experience and yes, it was extremely healing, but it was also terrifying to go back there, but it was necessary and I wouldn't change it. And I'm so glad I was able to go back there and experience the place. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was, it was healing not only for myself, but for the community as well, because, there were, you know, the volunteers that were there in 2017 during the fall, and they were there in 2019 when I was running the race. So it was just incredibly healing to be able to do it, um, you know, actually at the venue, you know, yeah. that, it, that it happened. I'm, I'm sure it was super cathartic and healing and yeah. terrifying and all those things. All of those things. <laughs> You're also a teacher, you're a science teacher in Boulder. And so are you still doing that in addition to your writing and running and training and everything else that you're doing? Yeah. So I've actually taken a break from it during the pandemic just because virtual teaching is really hard. However, I've been able to pick up on coaching, which is something I really enjoy. It's another aspect of teaching. And yeah, so that's been super fun. And I hope to go back to teaching kind of once things are kind of going back to normal for in-person. Yeah. So what are you coaching? Yeah. yeah, So I'm coaching running, um, like ultra running. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'll um, see you in a couple hours. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's, it's super fun. I mean, a lot of my athletes, they're mostly ultra runners. Um, yeah. but you know, from beginners all the way up to some, you know, pretty high level, high level runners, it's, it's really fun. It's a great way to give back to the community and yeah, nerd out. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. I love it. Yeah. And you also have a podcast. Tell me about your podcast. Yeah, I do. So this is actually through CTS, the company that I coach with. So the Train Right podcast, basically just going to interview cool guests and talk about kind of like actionable uh, tips to incorporate into training. So I get to, you know, nerd out on the science side of things. Like a couple episodes ago, I had one with my uh, friend, Dr. Teddy Bross, and we talked about sleep. Um, and then I also am a co-host of the Fastest Known podcast. It's like the culture of FKT, Fastest Known oh, Times. Gosh. In oh the, my God, that's such a in thing. The ultra yeah, yeah true world. So that's really fun. That's more of a passion project. But yeah, so those two things. Yeah. So now I heard that you are doing some Everesting. Is that your Everesting Green Mountain? Did that already happen? Or are you is that up and coming? Like what's going on? Yeah, so that's still up and coming. It was a project that I had to do to celebrate the launch of my book, but I actually broke my foot. So I had you broke to your ankle, it. then you broke your foot. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm currently recovering from a broken foot. So what are you, <laughs> you have an amazing physical therapist and some mm-hmm. people that you work with. 
Yeah, I do. So I have that team, but this is also just something about like, you know, this accident changed me. It's like three years later and I'm still dealing with some, you know, recurring things. And I have changed the way I train and I changed the way that I recover and I changed the way that I strength train, but still it's like, if you're training at a high level, there's certain things that can happen. And so that was just kind of unfortunate of just some kind of like recurring things that I've been dealing with, but yeah. So I still have the tools and, you know, so I'm like, you know, deep in the recovery, <laughs> Yeah. but you know, this too shall pass. It's just kind of, you know, again, like using the, it's an opportunity for me to kind of lean into the, to the book and maybe like, you know, glean some wisdom from the words I wrote. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's always hard to, I mean, I don't need to tell you about me- mental challenges and injury, but I think at, at, for everyone at any level, I think it's just, really hard to be sidelined and you know what can you do to keep moving forward so are you doing are you able to do any other kinds of exercise yeah so right now I mean it's pretty limited because I'm like non-weight bearing in in my leg but you know I'm being creative so like there's this like I love science so I'm doing this blood flow restriction which is like you can like you know restrict the blood flow to the leg that's injured and kind of mimic uh, an ischemic environment, which happens when you're actually bearing weight in the mm-hmm. limb. And it helps kind of basically, basically promote healing in the fact of like promote those down, like those um, downstream signals for like, hormones, which stimulate blood, uh, bone growth. And so the, the muscle itself, muscle, muscle maintenance and like the, you know, so the muscle doesn't atrophy as much. Um, That's cool. So that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, one-legged cycling with my my foot up yeah. you can <laughs> probably like swim on the with pool and buoy stuff. if you get in yeah the pool. so I can so yeah. I can do that once the incisions are healed yeah. so all of that stuff you've got this amazing book is there anything that you haven't shared that you kind of want to put out there like what's you know maybe for 2021 or just something you're thinking about or I don't know. I mean, it's, it's been like every, every conversation is different. That's why I love, I mean, I prefer like, you know, in-person or intimate conversations like this because, you know, everyone reading the book has a different, they learn, they can relate to a different part of it. They, they have their own unique stories. So that's just what I, what I love. And that's what I hope, you know, everyone is able to relate to some part of the story, you know, whether or not they've had a traumatic injury or, you know, they're going through a big life change. Um, that's just my hope is that it, it, you know, it shows you that you have more strength than you thought you had. And, you know, the challenges are, you know, an an opportunity for you to lean in and to learn something about yourself. I wish I could have in-person conversations with everyone. Well, this has been so awesome. Again, I can't wait to meet you. I'm loving your book. I hope that everyone gets out and back and thank you so much for hopping on the pod yes it was such a pleasure thanks so much and yeah i hope to make it out there i'll let you know if i can make it out to the east coast yeah thanks again for tuning into marnie on the move if you like what you hear leave us a five-star review in apple podcasts follow us on social at marnie on the move for facebook and instagram and marnie salop on twitter Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com, and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.